CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I have absolutely no commentary. There's nothing to be said. Uh, what is, uh, what's being broadcast on the airwaves is enough. We have no idea of knowing if, uh, you know, what part uh, these people who have stormed the Capitol, uh, you know, where they stand or who they are. We don't know. But what we do know is our nation is under assault and uh, it's been there before, and God will rescue us. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Bonus Interview, is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarowski Show as I speak. It's Thursday, January 14th, 2021. Of course, it can be any time that you listen to this. It's a podcast. That voice at the outset, one of our favorite clips we've been playing, uh, state representative. Now, uh, at the time, he was a state rep when he made those comments. Now he's a senator, a state senator, Darren Bailey, Republican Party. I wasn't sure who is responsible for the insurrection. Sort of putting out the notion that perhaps uh, it was uh, radical lefties, what is known as Antifa. And uh, he's just putting that out there because he just didn't want to have to sign on, uh, have to have MAGA sign on as responsible for what went down. Pretty funny stuff. Their efforts uh, to blame it on lefties. Always blaming things on lefties. All right. Uh, as I do with every uh, bonus show, I like to read the headline. So we have uh, what was in the headline of the paper that day. So we have sense what the news is. And this one is a simple one. One word. Impeached. The New York Times headline. Impeached after inciting rampage at Capitol Trump is first president to face second Senate trial. Ten and GOP joint vote. Impeached. That's the headline in the paper. And that's probably a good as point as any to um, ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself so we can start the conversation. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. My name is Leonard Goodman. I am a an attorney here in Chicago. I do criminal defense mostly. I also teach at DePaul as an adjunct. Yes. And I write uh, once a month for the reader, um, which is our beloved paper. Yes. Hoping, uh, hoping it has a long life. Yes, he writes uh, once a month, month, once a month for the reader. And uh, originally, uh, Leonard's been on the show many times. Uh, we talk about his reader essays. Uh, the ones that Jeffrey Epstein were perhaps uh, the most popular conversation we've ever had, Leonard, you and myself. And I urge everybody to check out those conversations. We're probably not going to do any Jeffrey Epstein talk uh, today. I had booked Leonard to come on the show last week. We were going to have a conversation uh, last Wednesday. And we were going to talk about his latest uh, essay in the reader, which ran uh, in December, uh, what uh, he wants the, re- the Democratic Party to do, uh, the uh, positive direction they could turn in from his point of view. And I agree with about 90 percent what he wrote. Uh, then, of course, there was the insurrection. And uh, I canceled. I postponed uh, the uh, conversation, Leonard, because I just wanted to see what was going to happen. 
You know what I mean? I just like just had to see how that was going to unfold before I initiated any kind of anything resembling a rational conversation with you. Uh, so we saw how it uh, unfolded. And now we're one week later, we have an impeachment. Uh, very curious here, Leonard. You, you, you are a criminal defense lawyer. If you were a criminal defense lawyer representing Donald Trump uh, in this impeachment trial that'll be uh, upcoming, what would your defense be? Well, you know, impeachment is a political act. It's not a criminal case. If I were representing him in, in a criminal case charged with insurrection, I think, you know, we would have a pretty strong defense. The, you know, political speech, I've, I've looked at what Trump said. It's clearly, um, it's clearly irresponsible, um, maybe impeachable. We could talk about that. But in terms of criminal, um, I would say probably not. It's a very high standard. I think that the case is Brandenburg versus Ohio. It, it has to be, it's the incitement test. So it has to be inciting immediate lawlessness and it has to be dangerous. It has to create a clear and present danger. Um, now, I, I don't know that the words that he used would be, you know, equivalent to like, let's go now, grab your guns, grab your pitchforks, let's march on the Capitol. Um, so in political speech, the First Amendment is a very powerful amendment. Um, and, it, you know, our founding fathers were very concerned about protecting political speech. And, you know, the, the main thing is if you disagree with me, you know, more speech is the answer, not suppressing and not throwing someone in jail. So I think in a criminal case, he would have a pretty good defense in, you know, impeachment you know, the interesting thing about how this is all played out with impeachment, because it is political. And I write a lot of my columns about corporate control of Washington, D.C., which to me, and, you know, I'm saying that I come from a corporate family. I have somewhat, somewhat of an inside view as to how money and power is exercised in Washington, D.C. Um, I see it as a very dangerous um, direction that this country has gone. And I'm saying really since 1970, which is, we basically had a complete corporate takeover of both parties. And why is impeachment actually proceeding now? And why does it actually have a chance of success? Well, corporate America has turned on the Republican Party and Trump. You know, we've seen Amazon has made a statement. They're no longer, they're going to cut off their contributions right now. Um, you know, Goldman Sachs, BP, what are these companies? Are they, are these, you know, moral leaders? No. I mean, Amazon, you know, Amazon is, is violently anti-union. It's, it pays the lowest wages it can. It's run by the richest person in the one of the richest people in the world, Jeff Bezos. Um, it's workers have to rely on food stamps, which the taxpayers have to uh, help feed the families of, of his workers, the richest person in the country. Um, so yeah, corporate America, what they want Trump or his immorality, what they care about is stability. And they see Trump as an eccentric figure, somebody that's destabilizing, and they're happy to see him gone. Um, so, you know, I'm not a big believer in this impeachment. I think, um, you know, may, I think it's incredibly irresponsible, but, you know, I think you also have to look at um, who the players are. You know, I, I mean, what I remember is Nancy Pelosi saying, you know, we're going to move past the fact that Trump 
and Cheney lied us into a war in Iraq. Um, and there's no dispute about that. You can go back and look. They lied. They said that they had indisputable evidence of weapons of mass destruction. They relied on forged documents that that, Trump, that um, Saddam Hussein had a, a nuclear weapons program. It was all bullshit. Am I allowed to say that? Absolutely. Uh, okay. Far worse has been said in this show. It, Go ahead. It was all bullshit, and uh, there was no impeachment. Now, why was there no impeachment then? And why did the you know, the Democrats say, we're, you know, we're going to let this one go. Well, because their corporate donors, uh, they don't want there to be a hearing on that. They don't want there to be public attention on lies. They want uh, presidents to be free to lie us into these interminable wars, which are incredibly profitable. Um, half, at least half a million people are dead, um, including thousands of Americans because of that war. So, you know, I can't get, um, that, you know, enthusiastic about impeaching Trump in his last week in office. Um, you know, I would like to see Congress do something for the people um, and for working people, which they really haven't done um, in 40, 50 years. Um, so that's where I come from. All right. Uh Man, there's a lot to unpack there, uh, Leonard. A lot, a lot to unpack there. At one point, I, t- I made a, t- a distinction. A corporate America has turned against the Republican Party. I would uh, rephrase it. I'd say corporate America has turned against Donald Trump. I welcome them turning against Donald Trump. I wish they had done it six years ago, and maybe we wouldn't be where we are today. But I believe that once Trump is out of the uh, picture, if that happens, we'll have to see how this plays out. Uh, corporate America will be only too happy to re-embrace the Republican Party because the Republican Party has never been much of a threat to corporate America. Do you agree with me on that? Absolutely, Ben. You know, Trump is just a little erratic. They'd be happy to get rid of him. They're much happier with a Mitt Romney or a Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama or a Joe Biden, Um, you know, Trump. You know, and and the other thing about Trump is, you know, he's a disruptor. He came in there... um, you know, he, he came in there uh, taking on, I, I think that's what was, what attracted a lot of people, a lot of working people to him is he took on some of these sacred cows, the Bush family, and he stood up to them and said, you guys are phony. Um, but the other thing that Trump did that I think scared corporate America is he talked about ending some of these wars. He never did it, but he talked about it. And that was enough um, to get, you know, a large segment of, Wall Street to be at least nervous about Trump. And I think they'd be very happy to see him going. You're exactly right. They'll be, you know, this is a very temporary move against the Republican Party. Um, once Trump is gone, they'll be very happy to, the donations will start flowing again, as, as you correctly point out. Uh, now, one of the things that you and I have talked about uh, down through the years, uh, Leonard, is the th- Donald Trump Every now and then, in my humble opinion, I think you would agree to this, would blurt out something resembling the truth. Amidst all the lies and the fantasies and the delusion, he would blurt out something uh, that would like. So just recently, man, it's just been forgotten. When out of nowhere, Donald Trump said the $600 check that Congress is going to write to people who are suffering uh, because of the, the pandemic shutting down the economy is a pittance and it should be $2,000. And out of nowhere, he became Bernie Sanders. 
Uh, and then, of course, there was no follow through on Donald Trump's part. Uh, it was just something like just popped into his head. He didn't push for it. He didn't push hard for it. He didn't lobby. He didn't try to force right. Mitch McConnell to round up the votes in the Senate to pass it. It just died in the Senate at six hundred dollars. Uh, but, but that's one of those things where Donald Trump, one of those moments, I think that you were getting at where he goes off off track and he says right. something that these corporate interests would oppose uh right. but then he never follows up but that's the i would think of all right. the frustrating things about him that's that's what at the top well, you know and i think you hit on something there because i actually think it's it's his truth telling that scares these people more than his lies i mean all of our presidents have lied um i mean if you'll remember what he said when he was getting elected in the debates he said all of these politicians are for sale. I buy them all the time, you know, um, and it was truthful. And, you know, he said, well, why are we, you know, why are we supporting Saudi Arabia in this, in this horrendous um, war in Yemen that has caused this humanitarian disaster um, in one of the poorest countries in the Middle East? Um, we're there because of the weapons contracts. Trump said it, you know, he blurts out the truth. You're exactly right. And, and they don't like that. They want a smoother politician. And excuse me, I know a lot of people here are Obama supporters, but they want someone like Obama that's going to sugarcoat all of this. Um, and um, someone that's much safer and, and more temperate. So you're exactly right. I think that that's part of uh, why they would love to see Trump go is because he occasionally blurts out the truth, which you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to, you're not supposed to say that part. Um, yeah, yeah. Plus, by the way, the, uh, the, the example you gave with Saudi Arabia he completely reversed himself uh, and, and became an ally of that regime. So that's another example. You're right. Uh, Leonard, every now and then he, he goes off, uh, goes off message, speaks the truth. Yeah. And then uh, quickly reverts. All right. Uh, so that's Donald Trump. I, on the other hand, welcome his impeachment. Uh, I, I welcome as much as possible, uh, just one level, if we get it, uh, sort of a digging into what went down last Wednesday, who was connected to the insurrection. I like as much uh, information to come out as possible. I don't know if we're going to get that in this impeachment trial, uh, but I, I welcome it. Uh, all right. So now you already talked about if you were the defense lawyer, uh, let's say you're his lawyer in this impeachment trial. How would you proceed? Well, can I bring up one other thing? Because I, I this is something I've been thinking about today and I was going to go on thinking about going on the show. And I had this thought and I ran it by a few people. And I think most people thought I was crazy um, in terms of the, the, the mob. But I had to remember um, November of 2000. And um, you can look this up. They called it the Brooks Brothers Riot. Um, a bunch of paid Republican operatives that uh, flew down to Miami-Dade County and violently disrupted the counting of the votes, um, banged on the windows, punched people, uh, caused property damage, um, now, these were, you know, led by respectable country club Republicans. There was no talk. They didn't call it, you know, but it's called the Brooks Brothers Riot. I just couldn't help remembering that. Um, now, 
you know, what's different now is members of Congress felt their lives in danger and were huddled in their offices. So, you know, they're maybe take this a little more purpose, a little more personally than what happened in 2000. But, um, yeah, I'm not a politician and I don't know how I would defend um, an impeachment other than to defend it as I would a criminal case and talk about the law and talk about political speech in the history of the First Amendment. Look at Trump's words um, and did they cross the line? Um, so that's, you know, that's how I would approach this matter. Um, I think probably it wouldn't be the best choice for him to defend him in an impeachment um, because I, you know, I think you want somebody a little more politic, but, um, you know, I would look at the law. Well, I, my, uh, my, I'm not even a, a make, I'm a make-believe lawyer. Uh, so I would, but my, my gut tells me that in the impeachment trial, what you're going to do is concentrate on the jurors that matter. And those are the Republican uh, senators. So you want to embarrass them somehow that, that would be how I would, I would even pretend uh, I would even go. Yeah. The first amendment is something everybody is an advocate of the first amendment, Leonard, when it comes to their first amendment rights. Right. The, the real trick is to find somebody like this is maybe before your time. Those lawyers for the ACLU in the 70s who defended the rights of Nazis to march in right. Skokie. That's the real First Amendment uh, heroes. You follow what I'm saying? I do. Uh, you know, a QAnon congresswoman who wears, uh, you know, a, a mask that says censored because she feels her First Amendment rights. Where was she for Colin Kaepernick? So, uh, so I'm with you. I'm with you, Ben, 100%. You know, it's, um, you know, the First Amendment was designed to protect the speech we hate, not the speech that we like, because the speech we like doesn't really need protection. Um, so I'm with you 100%. And, uh, you know, you're right. Those Nazis uh, marched in Skokie, a community with, um, you know, Holocaust survivors to cause the most pain in one of, you know, and yeah, it was a, a hateful, horrible thing, but the First Amendment applies to them. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right. That's a great, a great example. And the ACLU lost a lot of uh, support. I remember that. Uh, I just moved to Chicago when that went down and they lost a lot of support. Uh, all right. Uh, let's get to uh, the column you wrote uh, in the reader December 18th. I urge everybody to check it out. A very provocative essay uh, by Leonard Goodman, uh, and it's talking about, you already touched upon this, but let's go a little further, the corporate interest of the Democratic Party. And essentially, uh, the overall uh, theme of the column was to lay out uh, what uh, Leonard would like to see the Democrats in the direction they should go under Joe Biden to really bring about change. And of course, he's very skeptical that that will happen. Uh, well, it didn't it, happen. It didn't happen. <laughs> it already didn't happen. Um, but go ahead. Yeah, anyway, yeah. corporate interest in the Democratic Party. Go a little more into, uh, into detail on that. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's corporate-controlled territory. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that, you know, to just tie in the impeachment a little bit, one thing that the impeachment does for the Democrats, because what the Democrats are, they're very good at coming up with excuses for why they really would love to help working people because they're the party of working people, supposedly. Um, um, but they just can't. 
And so it always turns out that they do everything uh, for their donors and nothing for working people, but they somehow carry on this con, um, this charade that they really care about uh, working people. And I'm talking about employees, you know, basically everyone but the top, you know, one, two percent, you know, they rely on the big donors and, um, you know, they really would love to get you uh, Medicare for all to get have a, a true national health care uh, system like they have in every other civilized country. Um, they really would love to to get you support. You know, the, the government closed down your businesses. Um, they didn't close down Amazon and they didn't close down the Amazon fulfillment centers where there's, you know, 500 people working in close quarters uh, spreading COVID. They didn't close those down, but they closed the local restaurant and the the local gym. Um, And, you know, so the Democrats, the impeachment is a great thing for them because now they're going to have both houses of Congress like they had under Obama's first term. Um, And it's going to be much harder for them. I think people are going to actually expect that they're going to do something, do some of the things that they say, and it's going to be harder for them to serve the interests of their donors when they have both, both houses of Congress. So if they can focus people on impeachment uh, for some time, um, that works in their favor because that's a reason it's a distraction um, in my opinion. So, yes, I mean, it's there, you know, one of the things that I wrote about, um, in this article is, is Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why I was laughing when you said, you know, um, that I'm talking about what I would like to see the Democrats do, because what we saw in December, you know, I, I think, I, I guess what I wrote about was what was so jarring was to see the squad, these progressives, um, that got elected to the democratic party. I'm talking about, um, AOC and and um, Rokana and, and these um, Ilhan Omar and these people that got elected firebrands that got elected promising to go to Washington D.C. and disrupt the Democratic Party and to take on the corporate establishment and to fight and the really the main thing that they're they're promising is the fight for Medicare for all, which. Um, talk about this in a second, but there is a bill that was proposed by uh, Representative Jayapal almost two years ago in February uh, 2019, um, and it's a Medicare for all bill. And this is not some fringe issue. I think if you read corporate press, you would believe that this is sort of out there. This is not a fringe issue. This is something that's supported by over 80% of of Democrats and about half of Republicans. And during the pandemic, it's become far more popular, um, which we can talk about in a minute. But this is not some fringe issue. And it has been sitting, uh, so a bill was, and and a bill was um, presented, uh, a bill was um, enacted in in, in the House, and it has something like 110 sponsors. So everyone from like Adam Schiff and all of these people that claim that they are um, supporters of Medicare for all. Um, So this is not some fringe issue. It's never been brought to the floor for a vote. And why is that? Um, 
it's up to Nancy Pelosi. She's the Speaker of the House. She has not brought it to the floor for a vote and a debate uh, because the donors don't want it. The healthcare companies, the for-profit uh, health insurance industry that we have in this country, the health insurance company, the pharmaceutical companies, the big hospital groups, they don't want it because they like the system the way it is. They like to charge these high prices. You know, something like 30% of our healthcare dollars goes to paper pushers, to bureaucrats, to, to um, these health insurance companies where the executives make seven figure salaries. They don't provide any services. Um, we don't need them. Other countries have figured this out that, you know, you can provide, you can have a direct, uh, you build a government for your health care. And, you know, in other countries, you have, you pay your taxes to the federal government and you get some services in return. In this country, we don't. We get nothing for our federal services. We get wars that no one asks for that don't make us safer. Uh, we get an air show. That's about all we get uh, for our, our federal tax dollars. And it's time to have a debate on this. And so why has it been held up by Pelosi? Because the donors don't want it. Um, so she's just sat on this bill. And now suddenly uh, the progressive, it was pointed out, and this is by a comedian named Jimmy Dore, was pointed out that the progressives actually have the leverage to force a vote now because uh, the Democrats did so badly in, in the latest election, they lost house seats. So now Nancy Pelosi needs all the members of the squad to support her to be reelected speaker. If they, if they, um, if they don't support her, she's not going to carry the day and be reelected as speaker. So um, they have, they could tell her, we are not going to support you for, for speaker to be reelected speaker, unless you bring Medicare for all to the floor for a vote. Um, and so this was a big push. A lot of people um, got on board. It was a big social media campaign and the squad turned and ran. Um, they wouldn't face it. Um, and it was shocking, I think, to see these people that got elected saying they're gonna take it on. This is our signature issue. Uh, we're gonna fight for this. And they folded and how quickly, within like two years, these people got to DC and they became establishment uh, Democrats. And I think it was really, uh, this transition was really scary for a lot of people to see. And I think it's been eye-opening because I think what we've seen is that the Democratic Party is, you're not going to be part of that system and change it. You're, you're part of a corporate controlled party. Um, you're playing by their rules and you're not going to come in there and change it. And I think what people are realizing is that we need a third party. And there's a push now. I think they're calling it the People's Party. But I'm hoping that that's what comes out of this, that people just realize. Because I got excited, too, when I saw all these progressives get elected um, to the Democratic Party, thinking maybe it is possible. Maybe people can go in there and change Washington, D.C., and take on this corporate establishment. And to see how quickly they folded was really jarring and eye-opening, and I'm, I'm hoping that there is, um, it wakes people up. Uh, you mentioned uh, that uh, your background uh, enabled you to see uh, how corporate America thinks. And when you were saying that, 
I had a flashback to the movie uh, City So Real, which I don't know if you've seen. It's a documentary that Steve James did. Uh, we spent a lot of time. Okay, it's really well uh, worth watching, my humble opinion. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about it on this show. But in that uh, movie, it's a documentary, and uh, he had access somehow or other to a dinner party at Christy Hefner's uh penthouse and there was some banker there well a lot of uh, well-to-do well-connected people were there anyway there was a banker there and uh, he was opining about uh where he would like the city the direction of the city to go uh it's kind of a microcosm for chicago what you're getting at leonard and he says that he hopes whatever whoever wins the next election this is before the 2019 mayoral whoever wins the election won't be harold washington because with harold washington it was chaos and Mayor Daley brought in control. And Rahm has continued that control. So we need that control. Uh, is that what the kind of conversations that you have grown up hearing? That kind of attitude? Well, you know, um, I don't want to speak directly you know, about my family because I, you know, I, I have a lot of um, respect for them. Um, but, you know, I think the point is that you know, it used to be said, and this is before my time, but I've read a little history. It used to be said, what's good for GM is good for America, you know? Um, so we can, yeah, these people are taking a lot of corporate money, but so what? They're still on our side. That's not true today. That has changed because, you know, back in those days, you know, I'm talking 50 years ago, um, corporations, first of all, they paid their employees enough so that their employees could buy their product. So that was famous, you know, I don't know if it was Ford or, you know, GM, you know, the famous saying that we got to pay our employees enough so that they can afford our cars. Um, they cared about public schools because they were hiring workers. Uh, they needed educated workforce. They cared about the infrastructure. That's not true today. Um, corporate America, they fly on private jets. Um, they drink bottled water. They don't really care about the infrastructure of the country. Um, they're anti violently anti anti union. Um, and they outsource their labor to low wage countries. So they don't care about the public education system in this country. And I'm not talking about my family. Um, I'm talking about, and, and it doesn't really matter what your personal morality is because if you, um, if, if you're on the a board of directors of a corporation, you have a fiduciary obligation to the shareholders to maximize profits. And if that means outsourcing jobs to low wage countries where they have low environmental regulations, um, that's what you're going to do. You're under an obligation to do that, even if you're morally opposed to it. And even though it means screwing American workers and destroying the environment. That's what you're going to do. So if you're going to put those people in control of your political system, you're headed down into a very dangerous place. And it's got nothing to do with the personal morality of, you know, Jeff Bezos or, um, you know, anyone else. It's if you're a Fortune 500 company or professionally managed corporation, you have a loyalty to profits and maximize profits is no longer consistent with the needs of, of ordinary Americans. It used to be one day, at least there was some relationship um, 50 years ago, 
they did care somewhat about the health of the middle class in this country. Today, they don't. They don't care about the middle class. The middle class can go. We can turn into Brazil. Um, it doesn't matter. And I think I, I think it does matter. But I think if you're looking at the, you know, the if, you, if you're looking at the balance sheet for the next quarter, it's hard to see uh, that it really matters to protect the middle class. And if you look at what's going on in this country, it's really frightening. I mean, uh, the middle class is dying. People no longer have hope. You know, who are the, these people that are, you know, turning to, you know, a charlatan like Trump? They're people that have lost hope, a lot of, a lot of them. I mean, there used to be the American dream that you really believed if you worked hard, um, you could make it in this country. I think people have pretty much seen that that's not true anymore. Um, you know, we don't have, we don't educate poor people um, you know, we don't provide services anymore. We don't provide health care. You know, I think the biggest cause of bankruptcy in this country is people that get sick, medical debt. You can't afford to go to the doctor. And I think that's one of the things about this Medicare for all debate. It's, it's like, if not now, when? If you don't want to have this debate now, um, and that's what I think is so disappointing about the squad and AOC and these people that they wouldn't stand up and fight. Pelosi, when they had a chance, um, they just folded. It's like, if you don't want to have this debate now in the middle of a pandemic, when I think people are seeing the, the real weakness of our for-profit healthcare system um, in rolling out a vaccine where we really don't have any public infrastructure to, um, to get people vaccinated, to get people tested. And also, I mean, don't you want, in the middle of a pandemic, don't you want your neighbor to be, if he's sick, don't you want them to be able to go to the doctor instead of driving your driving your Uber or delivering your groceries um, without you want him to be able to go to the doctor without worrying about bankrupting his family? Yeah. And that's the system that we have right now. So I, I can't stress enough um, how disappointing it was to see uh, people that I really respected. Um, and we've got a congressman here in Illinois, I think that's a member of the squad, Marie Newman. And I reached out to her personally um, and was really disappointed in her response. Um, Jan Schakowsky, and the, I love Jan, you know, but it's incredibly disappointing to see these people uh, when they have a chance to fight for something that would really help people. And yeah, $2,000 checks, I hope we get them. We'll see. Um, that would help people too. But that's a very temporary thing. You know, Medicare for all is something um, that would be a lasting help that would really, really pull people up so that you don't have that incredible stress. Um, I'm sick, but I really can't afford it the doctor. And, you know, a lot, I know a lot of people that have health insurance, but they can't afford to go to the doctor because of the deductibles mm -hmm. and the co-pays. Um, this is a sick system we have, and, you know, we had a chance, and hopefully we still will, but, um, you know, there was a real chance to have this debate now uh, and win it now. So, well, I, okay, uh, let's push back from that, uh, that moment and look forward. I, I'm with you 100%, and I, I would tie the two things together, the insurrection uh, this, the siege at, at Congress uh, with something like Medicare for all. And hear me out, Leonard. I, I feel as though you could make a compelling case that with Donald Trump, we were as close to fascism as we ever been in this country. 
uh, I guess you'd have to go back and I'm old, but I'm not this old, but I've just, I like you, I've read books. Uh, you'd have to go back to uh, the early thirties when uh, FDR was victorious and he took office. And one of the tools against fascism was the new deal. And my argument is that if you want to move people away from Trump and Trumpism, you have to have something tangible that you're offering. You have to stand for something that's beneficial to people other than Jeff Bezos. And I would say a Medicare for all would fit that category. Uh, and I really believe that it's really time for the Democrats to stop with the work. We're worried about uh, the swing voter and suburban Wisconsin attitude and plow ahead with something that's, as you said, uh, would be beneficial to uh, most people in this country. And most people seem uh, to support. That's my sense of where the Democrats should go uh, once they uh, Biden's in office and they've taken control of the Senate as well as the House. Do you think there's any chance they'll listen to my advice in this? No, because their donors won't allow it. And the donors control the party, Ben. And that's where, you know, um, you know, I hate to say it, but I think we've seen that. And, and they even control the progressives in the party who have been whipped into line. So um, I don't see it. And the one thing I would say about being close to fascism, and I agree, you know, Trump may have some fascistic tendencies, but um, I would push back on a, a little bit on that. Um, and, you know, Trump had a perfect opportunity um, with the pandemic. Sorry, my five-year-old daughter just watched this um, He had a perfect opportunity with the pandemic. And you saw that in some other countries, you know, to lock people down, to declare martial law. He did the opposite. He said, I'm not dealing with this. Let the governors, let the states deal with it. I'm not going to deal with this. He's a lazy, <laughs> he's too lazy to be a fascist. And uh, so I don't see it. I don't see the, that danger with Trump. Um, I agree he's incompetent. I agree he was incredibly irresponsible, but I don't see um, the danger that uh, than other people do. And, you know, I, I, we could certainly, I, I see both sides of it, but, um, I didn't say he was an effective fascist. I just said he was heading in that direction. Yeah, uh, he's got and, the rhetoric, but I think he's just too lazy. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, he's got a, what's better that, uh, than throwing people into camps. So I better he plays golf than that. Right. Uh, but I, I, at, at any point, you have a significant segment of the population that believes whatever he says to the point where he could assert that there was fraud in the election and get people to sign on without evidence. No evidence. Okay. So that's a powerful force that is kind of, I find personally frightening. And I think that would be an incentive, if nothing else, for the Democrats to push on with whatever their vision is. But you're, we'll see. Well, Your point, uh, unfortunately, I would say you're absolutely correct when you say uh, corporate America has more clout with the Democratic Party than Ben Jarofsky, host of the Ben Jarofsky podcast. I would agree with you 100 percent on that point, uh, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, another uh, point that you raised uh, in your essay and uh, this is one that will always be overlooked, but can't be uh, emphasized enough. Defense spending, the enormous amount of money, bipartisan expenditures for defense. Talk a little bit about that. We spend more than, I think it's the next 10 countries combined on our defense. People don't want 
these permanent wars, these forever wars. Uh, who wants them? Uh, Wall Street, um, the military industrial complex. I know that's, you know, a, sounds like a cliche. Uh, Eisenhower warned about it, but it is true. Um, and I can tell you firsthand, um, you know, if you come from, you know, if you are one of the, Sam, Sam, Shotia, 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 okay, Shotia, Shotia, should put Band-Aid on to put a bandaid on. Okay. Um, you know, I, I read, I, I read the think tanks that are funded by um, these defense contractors, Raytheon, General Dynamics, um, Boeing, and you know, they publish pro-war propaganda, and these people funnel in and out of government, and they're just as close to the Democratic Party as the Republican Party. And what they want is forever war. They want to keep, you know, there's two things that they want from our next Secretary of State. Uh, one is to keep active hostilities going. And they don't really care where so much, um, but they want active hostilities going to keep the assembly lines going um, at Raytheon and, and the missile keep keep a market for their products. Um, they want conflict with some of the larger nations. They want bad relations. So they don't want a, a peacemaker to come in as secretary of state. They don't want somebody that has experience in negotiating with our enemies. They want somebody that's going to keep bad relations with Russia and China. And why? Because they're selling, I think there's an order now for 11 new aircraft carriers, uh, nuclear submarines. Uh, Obama started this. This is a whole new generation of nuclear weapons. That doesn't help anyone. Uh, it makes our, uh, our it puts our existence in danger. Um, it doesn't help anyone, um, but it's incredibly profitable. And so that's what they want. The other thing um, is the fossil fuel and the mineral um, producers, extractors. They want this empire. I think most people don't even realize that we have 800 foreign military bases around the globe. Um, why are they there? Most countries have one or two. Uh, we have 800. And they're there to help uh, our corporations, not Americans. And I think, you know, people talk about imperialism and I think that's a mistake because I think most people think, well, I'm, I'm an, uh, you know, I'm an imperialist. I don't mind, uh, you know, taking resources from other countries, but we're not taking those resources. They're going to corporations. Americans don't care if you're being gouged by ExxonMobil or OPEC they don't care. Um, it doesn't help us unless you own those companies. You're not benefiting. So we have 800 military bases to make sure that the people in these countries who object to foreign um, occupation and foreign control of their resources, that those people are kept down um, and that any leader, any populist leader that rises up is going to be overthrown. And that's what we have. Um, this, you know, this, this, um, these resources that we're spending, um, it's up to about a trillion dollars a year that we spend. And that's what we're getting. And it's, you know, it's frightening. There's got to be, somebody's got to come in there and take it on um, and put a stop to it. No one's really tried. I mean, even Bernie, 
um, was pretty tepid on 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 taking on these these um, companies and these contracts and just the mon- keep the money flowing and that's basically where we're at. Well, let me just point out this: uh, if anybody were to speak the way you're speaking, if Bernie were to be as forceful uh, in terms of his criticism of the defense industry uh, the way you have, uh, Trump and the Republican Party would come at him so hard with the, uh, the, the message that these are communists, that right. uh, beyond socialists, communists. Right. And uh, so... I always point this out. I'm a basketball fan, Leonard. I don't know if I've ever used this analogy with you, but it's like, it's one thing to be in a gym just shooting baskets and nobody's covering you. It's another thing to be playing in a game when there's someone in your face. And so the challenge for lefties in this country is how to figure out how to stand up for what you believe in without immediately backing off when someone plays, comes at you hard with some uh, BS in this case. Like, You're right. I left and I've been living a long time, Leonard. I haven't seen right. a liberal or a lefty capable. Right. I watched Biden and Kamala Harris run for the hills when right. Trump and Pence criticized the Green New Deal. They didn't go near the Green New Deal to defend it, which I think would, is, is another point we could go into sometimes. It ties in a lot of the themes you're raising. But you follow what I'm saying? The Democrats haven't figured out a way to deal with yeah. Yeah, old-fashioned red baiting. I guess two things. One is what you what, what I think what a lot of people call bad strategy. You're talking about bad strategy and not defending the, real, the, the Green New Deal. But it's also uh, they're completely compromised because they're taking all this fossil fuel money um, and so they have, they can give lip, they're allowed to give lip service to the Green New Deal, but to actually do something um, to, to end the addiction and to, to lower the production of fossil fuels in this country and to, and to transition to some other um, economy, uh, they're not going to do it. So um, I'm sorry, there was one other point that you made um, that I wanted to respond to. Um, and I forgot what it was, but sorry. Oh, well. Uh, well, next time. Uh, it'll probably uh, pop in your mind this weekend. All right, let's uh, end the interview with some hope. <laughs> if there's any hope oh, that you find. I know what it was. Yeah, go ahead. Let me make this one point because, um, you know, uh, talking about um, – I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well Linda, go ahead. I was going to say we're going to end the interview with some hope. Do you see? Uh, do you have any? Are you optimistic on any front? Uh, any front? <laughs> yeah. No, I think. Actually, I think what I was what I was going to say is I agree. It's hard, and I agree you're going to get if you really want to um, take on um, these entrenched corporate powers. You're going to get pushed back. You may get assassinated. Honestly, I mean. Um, and a lot of people that believe JFK when he turned on the CIA and, and um, you know, so we, we won't get into that. But I think to bring it back to where we were before, there was a I, I'm, I'm not saying we have to take on everything and win all these fights, but we had an opportunity 
um, to get something really meaningful for working people, and that is healthcare. True healthcare, not Obamacare, not this um, Obamacare that was written by the Heritage Foundation and protects the profits of the insurance industry. No, I'm talking about a real, um, a real national healthcare single payer system, so that when you go to the doctor, the government pays your bills. Mm-hmm. And like other countries have, we had a chance to do that. Uh, we had probably the best chance, maybe we'll we'll ever have in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. We had the ability to make Nancy Pelosi do it, and um, we didn't fight. Uh, the progressives folded, and so that is it tells you something about the system that we have. This this two party corporate duopoly, um, and it's got to be defeated. And we've got to support third parties. And you know, part of what that means is is changing some of the election laws so that you can have what they called ranked choice voting, because right now the Democrats can just scare you every four years and say, you have to vote for us. You can't vote for a third party because look how scary this other guy is. Um, so you have to vote for our corporate candidate and you know, that works. So, you know, what they have in some States and some other countries, they have ranked choice vo- yeah. voting so that you can give two choices and you can vote for your, the person you want which maybe would be a third party. And then you could put a second choice, Joe Biden. Um, and then you couldn't be accused of being a spoiler because I've been accused of that. I've supported third parties and people blame me for, you know, like <laughs> Trump and, you know, um, but so. I, I think Leonard, the last time we were on the show or maybe the time before it, uh, you confessed, I'm one, I think it was you, that you didn't vote for Obama in 2012 and you got a lot of heat from friends. I, I think that was you. Yeah, I did not. I was out there in Grant Park celebrating his victory in 2008. Um, I think you may know I represented a Guantanamo detainee. There were a lot of things that uh, made me um, feel betrayed by Obama. And when 2012 came along, I could no longer pull the lever for Obama. I think I voted for the Justice Party or something like that. I did get a lot of heat, but not as much heat as I got for voting um, for Jill Stein. So 2016? (laughs) And uh, I've had friends, friends of mine and family members that just want to kill me and disown me. And it's my fault that we have Trump. You know, I've heard that from so many people and, you know, um, so anyway, I make an appeal on behalf of Leonard to his relatives. Guys, he lives in Illinois. All right. His vote would not have switched. It'd be one thing if he lived in Lansing, Michigan. So yeah, that doesn't matter to them. That doesn't matter. They, they're going to, they're going to blame me anyway. All right. Well, you got big shoulders. All right, Leonard Goodman. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show again. I look forward to your next reader story. Uh, so that last one was December 18th. We're yeah. a little late in getting you back on, but uh, we had the holidays in between it. And then we had the insurrection. Uh, yeah. so, so you have another one coming out soon, I presume. Correct. Yeah. I'm going to write one for next week. All right. We'll get to work uh, as soon as this interview is over and uh, stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Ben. Bye bye. All right. That's Leonard Goodman. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everyone.